The Guardian. The Guardian live at the Edinburgh Fringe 2008. Thanks very much for listening to The Guardian podcast. The show is just finished. We've just uh, seen an extract from Shakespeare, a very funny play written by Russell Kane. Uh, uh, that's going to be coming up at the end of the show. Uh, we have Tim Vine on, uh, Leah Benedict from The Guardian, and also uh, Mark Watson, uh, who are all totally delightful. Let's start from the beginning of the show. I'm just about to introduce Tim Vine. Ladies and gentlemen, my first guest, you already know that this man has broken the Guinness World Record for the most jokes told in an hour. We know that he was in Celebrity Fame Academy. We also know his show is called Punslinger. It's on every day at the Pleasance Courtyard at 6.15. Please welcome the Pun Master General, Mr Tim Vine. Hello. Hi, Tim Vine. How are you? I'm extremely well, yeah. I, I, one of the great things about doing the festival is you just get asked to suddenly randomly go into a room and talk to someone like this. It's oh. <laughs> marvellous. Well, imagine how we feel. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Someone's taking pictures of me as well. Do you like photography? Yeah, snap. <laughs> Tim, now, uh, you, you're, you're, you're a pun specialist. Is that, is that true? Um, well, as a pun specialist, I mean, I've slightly... I've, this whole pun thing, I do play up to it a bit. It's not all puns that I do, but it's uh, lots of wordplay and silliness. How and long a few silly can songs. you go? How long can you go without creating uh, a pun? Without? Yeah. Like some sort of withdrawal thing, you mean? Yeah, I mean, because seven I'm days not... without a pun, that would be... Well, that would make one week. That would make... <laughs> <laughs> oh. Is that one all now? Is that one all? <laughs> I hope it doesn't turn into a competition because I will go down screaming. Um, yeah. uh, but seriously, though, when you're thinking of a new pun, I mean, yes. sort of just dating in your mind, would you say you've got a pun in the oven? <laughs> well, if that's 2 1, I better say Velcro, what a rip off, and it's back on 2. Because <laughs> there's a rapid fire element, obviously, to, to pun telling. I do, yeah, I do lots and lots of jokes. I think it comes from being slightly nervous about the gap between laughs. I think that's how I grew into that style. I think I just thought to myself, I was looking at an audience and I thought, ah, so my paranoia kicks in, I think they're going off me, so I hurry to the next joke. Oh, right, you're frightened of any sort of dead air. I am. This, for example, yes. This, <laughs> this scares me. One arm butlers, they can take it, but they can't dish it out. That's right, I'm back now. I'm back. <laughs> Until May 2005, uh, I hope I'm right in saying, you held the record for the most jokes told in an hour. I didn't know it was May 2005, but, yeah, I guess it was about that. <clears throat> I held it for um, eight months, so that's probably right, yeah. Yeah, I, I, there was a, I, the reason I did it was because I, was, uh, I had a DVD coming out or something, and uh, exactly, yeah, there's no cynical reason for trying to break a record. But, Anything um, else coming out soon that we should know about? Another DVD at Christmas, funnily enough. But, oh, I look uh, forward to that. Do you know, I, I, I bought a DVD the other day, and I, I, it said deleted scenes. I went out and looked, there's nothing there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I, I thought, well, I wonder whether there's a record for most jokes in an hour just because, you know, I was doing quite a lot of jokes. So I rang up the Guinness Book of Records, and they said there was, and they said it was 362 jokes in an hour from someone from uh, Estonia called Erki Kolu, right. which was maybe his first joke, I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> Hello, I'm Erki Kolu. One. Um, and I thought to myself, 362, I think I broke that last Friday. So uh, I had the sort of act that kind of lent itself towards that. Uh, how many did you manage? Oh, I did four nine nine, but I have to say it, it didn't last very long because someone in America did six hundred and seventy six. So as far as I'm concerned, that's the end of it now. You don't want to, you don't want to compete again? No, I've got a certificate. It's not sport comedy, is it? It's, it's, it's supposed to be entertainment. I don't want to get involved in a kind of backwards and forwards. This guy in America's 
fairly hardcore, clearly, 676. 670, does, he, does he want to break his own record, you suppose? Is he going to keep boosting I don't know, it? but I'm quite sure that if I sort of beat his record, which perhaps with a push I could just about do, then yeah. uh, he'd come straight back, you know, and it's just, I've got, you know, I've oh, done it once. It feels like I'm going over old ground if I do that again. It would be quite fun if you came the sort of Sebastian Coe, Steve Overt kind of... Of, uh, of pun telling or rapid fire delivery, the two of you have just started having this horrendous bitter battle. Yeah, it'd be fun to watch the rest suppose, of everything you do. It yeah. would exactly. Yeah, yeah. It would just look like I was obsessed. Then are they, are they, uh, are they? Are they very specific about the rules? Then the Guinness Book of Records. Um, I mean, hopefully it's. Yeah, they actually said that every joke must have a beginning, a middle, and an end. It must be a paying crowd, and they must laugh at every joke. Now, the thing that got me about that was the thing about a joke having a beginning, a middle, and an end. Because if I say Black Beauty, he's a dark horse. That appears. <laughs> That appears to have a beginning, and, you know, where's the middle in that? And I was, start, I was worried for a bit. I mean, that's definitely a joke, isn't it? But I was worried for a bit that that might not count. I thought, well, I, was, I spent ages thinking, OK, Black Beauty, that's definitely the beginning. He's a dark horse, that's the end. Where is the middle? <laughs> and I, th- I think the middle is when you visualise the horse. <laughs> Uh, now, uh, you're having fun with your show this year? Great fun, actually, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I toured with it for a month before I came up here, so I feel like I sort of ran it in a bit, so I'm just up here enjoying it, really. Oh, really? Just going out and on the loudy, having fun? I tell you, well, I'm really, really into darts. I play darts every day at home. Um, uh, at home? At home, yeah. Is that, that's not that weird. Crikey. <laughs> At home? <laughs> no, but it's when you go, oh, I really love coming to Edinburgh. I play darts in the flat I'm staying in. I mean, you could do that. No, no. I mean, if I said the trapeze, OK, be surprised. <laughs> but, um, but I brought my darts with me. And it's actually very hard to find a dartboard in Edinburgh. There's lots of pubs I've walked into, and they've said, no, we used to have it here, but we, we don't, you know, they start, they start throwing it at each other. So uh, <laughs> we got rid of it. But I very excitedly found... Uh, um, a dartboard in uh, Brooks Bar in Pleasant Stone. And uh, so, I, I, you know, we most days I chuck a few arrows in there. Uh, chuck a few arrows. Lovely. Oh, yeah, I know the lingo. In fact, uh, <laughs> Eric Bristow came up to me. He said, he said, how come you put super glue on one of my darts? I said, he just can't let it go, can he? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that, wasn't, that wasn't a long reason for telling that joke. I mean, I am actually playing darts. I think that was the longest oh, okay. lead-up ever. That was your beginning. Yeah. Uh, who, who do you play darts with? Well, uh, there's a comedian called John Robbins, who, it turns out, is quite good. He went out on 157 in, in Brooks Bar. Treble 20, treble 19, double top. I mean, that's, you know, quality. I imagine that's good. I got a couple of 180s that night, but, uh, but nonetheless, uh, he, you know, he, 157 was the shot of the night. Have you, have you been on um, Jim, Jim Bowden's show? I'm doing it tomorrow. Oh, are you? Take- yeah, yeah. <laughs> You say it's just pleasure. You're actually training. Uh, well, the, the thing about darts is, I think it's a little bit like golf. Insofar as there are days when you might think to yourself, "Oh, hang on, I think I've got the hang of this," and then there are other days when it looks like you have never ever held a club before. And darts is very much like that. So, I mean, all the great dart players, it's all about the consistency. It's incredible. Um, sorry, you probably don't want to hear about darts, do you? Sorry. <laughs> no, it's great. It's, a, it's, it's great stuff. Um, <laughs> I was playing darts with a friend of mine. I said, nearest to ball starts. He said, bah. I said, mm. He said, you're closest. <laughs> uh, in, um, uh, in 2006... Yes. Looking back, uh, you, were, you were one of the most talked-about acts of the Edinburgh Festival, and yet, crucially, you weren't, you weren't here. Mm-hmm. How, did, how did you make that happen? 
Well, I, I, it did make more of a splash than I was expecting, actually. But I, basically, I bought an enormous poster. It was, it was really, really, pr- very about 25 foot across, I think, probably, or maybe 20 foot. It was a very long way across, anyway. Very, very big poster. Big picture of me and my arms out. And it said Tim Vine across the top of it. And then in the bottom right-hand corner, it said, it's not appearing at this year's Edinburgh Festival. <laughs> and... Uh, and the reason I bought it was because I was there the year before and I saw someone with that site and I said to the promoter who took me up, I said, this is, what an incredible post, I'd love to have that, it's massive. It was, I think it was Omar Jalili was on it the year before. Yeah. And uh, he said, well, I can sort it out for you if you like. So um, he, sort, he said, right, you know, you, you, we sort it out, you can have it. And then I, in the end I couldn't come up to the festival. But I thought, well, let's just put the poster up anyway. Um, so it was a get-out clause? Um, no, I just thought it would be amusing. It was, yeah, no... <laughs> It was frustrating because people would walk past and point at it and laugh. And you think, great, I'm slogging my guts out in some horrific basement to a bunch of Germans. <laughs> but, I mean, who wouldn't, who wouldn't pay for that? Um, no. But it's funny because I'm here this year and, you know, the, the, I haven't got anything like the coverage. Yeah, no, no one knows. No one knows. Yeah. Yeah, well, they will now. Ladies and gentlemen, Tim Vine! <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, uh, uh, one of the uh, many comedy critics from The Guardian is joining us now. Please welcome Leo Benedictus. Uh, now, uh, Leo, before we find out your uh, Edinburgh recommendations, uh, uh, we've got this leaderboard, OK? It's comprised of various Guardian journalists who've featured on the podcast. And what we're asking everybody is that the number, the number of shows that they've managed uh, to see in a day. This is our, um, our, this is our Guardian uh, leaderboard. <laughs> um, <laughs> What we've got so far, uh, Paul McInnes, he claimed he saw one show in a day. Uh, Laura Barnett, she's seen six. Brian Logan, uh, he claims to have seen ten. Laura Barnett said that he was lying. I think I'm just below Brian Logan. How, how many did you see in a day? I think I've seen seven. I believe I've seen seven. Right, well, that only counts if you can name them. Mm. It doesn't count in that case. <laughs> well, you can get on the, how many can you name of those? Um, well, I remember seeing... Do you know, I think I saw Tim as one of those. Oh, did you? Oh. I did. Um, how was that? I gave, him, I gave him four stars. I'm sure he remembers it well. Oh, I haven't even read it. Oh, no, good. No, OK, well... <laughs> do you, I often, when people write the review, there's a, I don't know if it's an urban myth, but people say that the person who writes the review isn't the person who puts the number of stars. Is that right? No, no, it's not right. We do... Right. Sometimes it will quite often happen that you'll... Uh, Write a review and think, agonise over the stars. Think, no, this is this is definitely sort of a four-star review, and you you write it up and you explain what it was like, and then you get a call from the editor saying, "This is yeah, it's it's good, but, but you've given them four stars. It feels more like a more like a one-star review. <laughs> what you've actually yeah, said. This so. is not getting so good now, is it? I wish we hadn't gone into it. <laughs> uh, now, what, what what have your highlights been so far, other than of course the marvellous uh, Tim Vine? Um, well, I saw Hans... I'm going to attempt some advanced pronunciation here. Hans Tierwun, I think is how it's said. He's a Dutch uh, comedian. Exactly, and he is terrific um, in a really baffling way. <laughs> I particularly enjoy laughing when I don't know why I'm laughing. Uh, and he Do you always to... enjoy that? Uh, no, sometimes it's a form of mental collapse. And... <laughs> <laughs> Where's he at and what time? That sounds good, that. Uh, it's very, very good. He's at the um, Pleasance Dome at 8.30, I think. Oh, OK. Um, he's really excellent. Now, Leo, can you explain, can you explain what the Guardian Twitter service is? Um, well, no, is the answer, but I can certainly have a go. It's, it's a thing for young people. Um, ah. It, yeah. Shall we move on? (laughs) (laughs) The idea is, if you feel that by buying the newspaper every day and then by checking the website four or five times a day that you're not reading enough, (laughs) 
um, <laughs> from The Guardian or from me in particular, then you can arrange for how to have all of my thoughts transmitted to your mobile phones whenever I think them. Um, how how and does this system work? Is it a sort of Stephen Hawkins machine? That sort of <laughs> it, it, it's my mobile phone, which I rather brilliantly lost um, the moment I arrived in Edinburgh. I left it in the back of a taxi. Oh, well, can um, people text the Guardian and get the random thoughts of a taxi driver? They, <laughs> they could have done. But I keep getting really racist text messages. <laughs> <laughs> You, what, what do people do then? They text to a certain... There's, there's details definitely on the website. If you go onto the Guardian website... Yes. Uh, Guardian.co.uk. The basic idea is, for anyone familiar with Facebook, uh, there's a thing on Facebook that says Facebook status, where you just sort of type in what you're doing and what you're thinking and whatever you like at any time you like. And this is like that, where whenever I feel like it, I'll just send a text out saying, just see this, saw this show, Hans Tier when he was great, or someone else, they were rubbish, or whatever it might be, or it's raining, it's quite often what I text... And um, then that gets sent out. And if you have signed up to follow me, which you do by texting... Follow me? Uh, yes, it's, it's important to, to stress this, actually. This is figurative following. Right. No one is actually following me, and that's, oh, okay. that's important. It's not, it's not a sort of messianic complex at the no, is. No, not yet, no. Oh, right. <laughs> uh, so it, we, we've got a few of the texts that you've sent out to people. Uh, uh, Dreek is the word, but how is that spelt? What, what caused you to send that? Well, I, I woke up... Um, by I was woken up by rain. You woke up, guessed the weather, sent yeah. a text. S- saw the text, uh, and, and I, I remember just having this, this image of, of course, Scotland has a word for days like these, which is, I think it's drich. I'm sure there'll, there'll be a Scot in the audience who can do it better than I can. Is that but, a correct pronunciation? Um, and it's a really, really fabulous word. Uh, like, like Humpty as well, I think, is an excellent word. But the weather was very drich indeed, which... Uh, I take to mean it's cold, it's raining, it's grey, and it's August. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You got one, it said, it's still a bit weird watching comedians, in this case, Josie Long, doing jokes about nasty Guardian reviewers. I was even booed incognito. That that was one of your thoughts. It was. It was quite a long thought, yes. Um, That was a very tricky moment, actually. You need to make sure that you think in the exact right number of characters, don't you, before you... 140 characters is all I'm allowed, exactly. And I've noticed that my... An average thought in my brain is about 154. I'm I'm, I'm having to start to think in tuxed, which is quite difficult, taking me a bit of of time to get used to. Um, On on that occasion, what happened was that I I was sitting in the audience and Josie Long... Uh, mentioned, I think she was talking about astronomy, and she mentioned two stars in one particular constellation, and uh, said two stars like my review from the Guardian last year. Um, huge booing rising up in the in the audience, uh, to which I could only join in while writing down on my pad, "Bloody Guardian, absolutely disgraceful two stars." Just not. Uh, so yeah, I had to text that was out it? to get it off my chest. Leo Benedictus, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. The Guardian live at the Gilded Balloon. My next guest was described on this very podcast by The Guardian's very own Paul McInnes as a brainiac. Stephen Fry said he was the bastard love child of William Boyd and Willie Allen, and he won an IFDOC Comedy Award in 2006 for innovation. His show this year is called All the Thoughts I've Had Since I Was Born. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mark Watson. A brainiac? A brainiac, yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, just, just, Just two days ago, sitting in that very chair. Goodness me. To think of people talking about you and you never know, do you? <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it, the way yes, the world you works? you touch people's lives, you never know. <laughs> you look, if I may say, exhausted. Yes, I'm tremendously ill. Oh, I, are you? Um, yes, normally... It, the... uh, sorry, before we start, uh, gravely, or just... Is this uh, good? I, without wishing to alarm people, I expect to die during this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, 
Right, okay. <laughs> it's, uh, you will live long in the Ethernet, but not necessarily in actuality. That's right. I, my virtual existence will outlive my actual existence. It's um, one of these situations where... The thing is, I mean, I'm not going to drag the tone of the um, what has been a pretty sprightly podcast down, but, uh, yeah, I feel like absolute death. It was, um, it was raining all day yesterday, and I was sort of caught up in it quite a bit, and um, I'm sort of shivering uncontrollably. On the other hand... Um, it's just so very dreek, isn't it? Isn't it dreek? It really is. It's just so dreek the whole time. I can think of other words as well. Uh, now, your show is called All the Thoughts I've Had Since I Was Born. Yes, but actually, looking back, that was a bit overambitious as a brief. Well, it turns out it's just sort of most of the thoughts in the end. Well, how, do you, do you, are you aware how many thoughts you've had since you were born? Apparently, I read you have 50,000 thoughts every day, although I think this is one of these sort of... Um, Un, unverifiable statistics. Um, it's a bit like Tim's thing about what counts as a joke. I'm not sure what counts as a thought, but you register 50,000 impulses. So that is a lot of... If you think I've been alive for quite a few days, <laughs> then you'll appreciate the artistic bravura of this show. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, presumably, do different things count, don't they? Because you must have the same thought, presumably. I mean, if you're hungry, you probably keep thinking that every seven yeah, seconds. Yeah, like I've, that can't I've count thought, as... for example, oh, I feel a bit shivery about 21 times today. Is that 21 thoughts or is it just one thought rehashed? But even, even, if you, even if you cut it down... Uh, again, I heard that um, uh, an average person these days has as, as many thoughts in, their, in a day as a medieval person would have in their lives. Or you hear all these statistics. You certainly have a lot of thoughts. We're Med- all having loads of thoughts. Did medi- well, medieval people had less, less to think about, I suppose. It yeah, because they didn't have podcasts or Twittering. Yeah. Uh, you know, they <laughs> all the things that deeply concern everybody in today's culture. The mercy of Facebook scrabble like we all are. Yeah. It's just exactly. Yes, Facebook t- uh, status. I'm ready to pay my tithe. Uh, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, j- I don't really worry about my tithes. Yes. Plus, I mean, they died so quickly, didn't they? No disrespect exactly. to the old days, but people lived a lot less long. So, it, yeah. Yes, I think life is much more complex than it used to be. So I've tried to address that in my show. Now, you've done a, a 36-hour show recently about being crap at the environment. Uh, now, you, you've written a book about that. Which came first, the idea for the show or the book deal? Uh, it wasn't. <laughs> I did a 24-hour show, but I do that every year anyway. The environment was just sort of the theme last year. I'm not doing it this year because of medical advice. Um, I had a, The whole point of my show this year, in fact, is uh, trying to reduce the stress in my life because I had a, um, a stress-related condition last year. I had a lung right. problem with my lung. Um, I was advised not to do Edinburgh, for example. So as a compromise, I, I am doing it. Um, <laughs> So, um, but yes, in terms of the environment, basically I realised I, I was very uh, unenvironmentally aware and so I wrote a book trying to um, do a sort of a light version of environmentalism to an appeal to people like me who were sort of guilty, eco-guilty, but not very... Because the thing with the, the environment is it's really good to do something but you're not going to realistically do everything you're meant to do because it takes ages. Uh, <laughs> so I tried to sort of just do a more realistic form of environmentalism. The book came after that, I'm proud to say. No, no, I'm, I'm glad that's the case. It's a rare example of someone actually doing something. Well, uh, I know that you're incredibly busy at, uh, at the moment. Are you, are you getting any free time at all in Edinburgh? It's funny, actually. I, uh, I've been, <laughs> I hesitate to uh, open this wound again, but I've been playing darts quite a bit. Uh, hey! I been, yeah, I have been, yeah. Where have you been playing? There's a pub called The Blind Poet on West yeah, Nicholson yeah. I went Street. I yeah. the other day. I got very, very excited. It looks like a great board, the way it's all set out. It's it? a very nice board. It looks yeah. like a great Sorry. board. For what? those of you who well, thought no. that you'd shaken darts off, we're just going to go back to it briefly. <laughs> Southsider is another one, another pub that has a dart board. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. So, no, I mean, really. well, have you really been playing quite a lot? Yeah, well, no, I'm not very good, but I played the last two days, for example. But, I mean, you How mentioned bizarre. 157... Well, then we 
I'd never check out on a 157. The well, most this was John Robbins, not me. I mean, I, I got a couple of 180s. I said that earlier, but it doesn't... You said it very casually, like a couple of 180s is nothing. Well, OK, I got three over two days. I think I don't think I'd get three in my life. 180 is, of course, the maximum possible from three. You really? Well, oh, you I would just... beat me easily then. Well, it comes and goes, though. I'm inconsistent. But I would definitely like to play, you know, get down the Blind Poet. It's a terrible name for a, a pub with a dartboard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Yes. <laughs> Wouldn't want to play him. <laughs> I, I still want to know what constitutes a good board. Is that, that's, well, that's it's, it was all a, 20 numbers on yeah, it. Yeah, the numbers prop- are missing. <laughs> yeah, that's a good start. Yeah, like a good clock, you want all 12, yeah. really. It was, a, yeah. it was a proper bristle board, and it was well lit. The one in the Brooks Bar, is, it, you know, when, it, when it's night time, it's not very... You don't want one with a spotlight. That one's got a spotlight, I think. Yeah. The blind poet, and you ideally want one of those guys going, 140! Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which, yeah. That is a bonus. Also, it's nice if it's not too worn. If a board is, a, board is a bit old, the darts start to sort of bounce out of it and stuff. Um, I mean, we could talk about darts all day. Seemingly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, will you please uh, show your appreciation for a genuine modern comedy legend, Mr Mark Watson. Uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, my final guest uh, today he is uh, he's doing uh, uh, his own stand-up show at the Pleasance and, uh, for a very limited time only, a show called Russell Kane Presents Shakespeare, The Lamentable Tragedy of Yeats's Wine Lodge. Please welcome Russell Kane. <laughs> Uh, now, uh, uh, Russell, are you having a good time up in Edinburgh? I am. It's the first year. I don't know if it's because it's the third year. Normally, I find it quite scary, because so, stand-up can fill you a lot with, uh, with self-doubt. And uh, so I normally go home, and even if I've had a good show, I'm like, but what if tomorrow one's not very good? Right. I've actually been going home and feeling OK. I've been eating, I've not been drinking too much. I must just be gro- growing up, finally, settling into it. So I know it's unfashionable <laughs> and very un-British, but I'm enjoying it. <laughs> it seems to be a lot of uh, very healthy comedians this year. People keep bumping into each other in the swimming bath. Comedy's just gone organic, hasn't it? <laughs> Great word. Um, now, Russell, once uh, for a week, I believe, you presented Big Brother's Big yeah. Mouth. Yes, but it didn't lead to the sort of nominations I hoped for. Oh, right. uh, so, <laughs> so uh, yeah, no, I, did, I did that once. Well, the thing is, with this, if you've been very lucky like me, I never set out thinking, I want to be a stand-up comedian. All I ever wanted to do was write. So because I've been lucky enough to get into it, I don't feel I've got enough arrogance yet to say, I'm too good for this or too good for that. So I, I'm still at that stage where if someone says, do you want to do a poetry festival, I'll be there with my pentameter. If someone says, do you want to present celebrity haircuts, I'll, gi- I'll give it a go. If I hate it, I don't have to redo it. Do I? So I'm just, in, I'm just enjoying the ride, then I'll settle down and, and who knows, it could be BBC Four, it could be E4. We'll wait and see what happens. <laughs> I've got the hair for one and the mind for the other. And I can- <laughs> 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 so me with my GHD ceramic straighteners reciting Chaucer. <laughs> uh, uh, how did the Shakespeare show come about? Uh, well, the, 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 yes, the thing is, the, the Gaping Floors comedy show, that's taking care of itself, because I'm feeling a little bit more confident this Sorry, year. Sorry, this is your, your own show, it's called Ga- Gaping, Gaping Floors. Gaping Floors, it's all about how uh, British people, I'm speaking geographically, nationalists, uh, love how we love things to be flawed and imperfect, rather than how the American people prefer perfect things. It's not an anti-American statement, it's just a cultural observation. We like things to be a bit naff. Uh, and so I thought, because I was so happy with my theme this year, I'll, I'll try my Shakespeare concept, which was born out of an arts festival heckle. I was, I was performing, you know, it was this sort of where we, everyone had been doing serious stuff and talking about the arts and they wanted some stand-up at the end. And it just didn't work. It was a Shakespeare festival and I was... And, and the thing is, I've, it's not like I'm uneducated or, or anything, but because I did start life as a pikey, I find in... <laughs> impression, and I'm allowed to say it because it's genetically true, and... Uh, <laughs> 
as soon as I'm in a pressured situation, I lose all verbal ability. I start swearing, everything falls apart. And the audience hated me and the whole thing just fell apart. I felt like I was in a cloth cap cleaning their chimney or something. It was horrible. And I got heckled by a 12 year old at this Shakespeare festival. And his actual heckle was, I normally, what am I wearing today? I normally wear something reasonably bright on stage. He went, excuse me, do you realize that your attire is somewhat obtuse? That was his heckle, right? And the whole audience agreed. They didn't laugh with me, they laughed at me. And, and you know, my job is to think of something creative or witty or surreal, just something brilliant to put him down. But I panicked and said, yeah, I've had your nan. And that was my point. <laughs> right? and, uh, and that's when I got thrown out. And I got thrown out by a tutor saying, why don't you in, uh, write a proper insult if you want to put us down? Go back to the bard, go back to the master, go back to Shakespeare. Bing! And this idea came into my head. I was like, how inappropriate for people in modern-day life to speak in Shakespearean language if I was to get attacked in Yeats's Wine Lodge. If it was like, oh, excuse me, mate, your girlfriend's fat and your hair's a bit gay. I couldn't very, very, very well go, really? Well, thou art a crow. It wouldn't have... <laughs> and so what... And just to, just to sum up, what I've noticed, and you guys would have noticed this up here, and anyone who's involved in this, I don't mean to be derogatory, there is a hell of a lot of Shakespeare reinvented up here. It's, hey, look, it's Pericles in rap. It's Macbeth for the working classes. That'll get them in, right? But the fundamental thing they misunderstand is the people that they're trying... Not that I'm trying to connect with anyone in a worthy way, but the people they're trying to connect with weren't interested in those plays in the first place. So if you patronisingly rap out Macbeth, all it is is a load of intertextual scholars going, very good, I can see the original Macbeth in it. What no-one's done is taken one of of our transient modern stories, i.e. two guys in Yates's Wine Lodge with a bird, and tried to tell it in a pseudo, and I've, I stress the pseudo, <laughs> blank verse style. So it's just borrowing the linguistic flavour to tell one of our nasty, low-grade stories, which I've not... I mean, it's probably been done before, but there's not as much of it. Russell Kane, thank you very much indeed. <laughs> For our final act today, please welcome to the stage Russell Kane and the Shakespeare players with an excerpt from Shakespeare, The Lamentable Tragedy of Yates's Wine Lodge. So this first extract, it's about the play is about Garienti and Davuccio uh, fighting over Sharonetti. Um, and what happens at one stage is they're playing a game, and uh, Davuccio gets into disguise as Davina. That is a Shakespearean device. And uh, Garienti, who's very drunk, falls in love with his friend in disguise. So he starts wooing them. Uh, so this just to give you a flavour, because I think this is one of the more the simpler ones to get your head around, so you can see how it works. <clears throat> Almost celestial creature. If beauty be the goal of nature, then thy netting is by Ronaldo infinitely struck upon. <laughs> if the orbit of thine appeal compels my heart's travel, then thy beguile is as the M25 motorway. Yet every slip road's clogged with suitors. But hear now that I, with Tom Tom Satnav, have crafty B roads found, and am broken down in ecstasy upon the hard shoulder of thy love. <laughs> I desire thee as all of girls allowed combined. The ginger one, remove Ed. That's the first bit. <laughs> now, this, this next one is called Dawn Princess of Greggs, and it's about two women. <laughs> Two women seizing... Well, they both want to be the manageress of Greg the Baker's. Barriuccio is dying. And uh, there's Elania, who's worked there for years, a wizened old hag who thinks she should run. And then there's Dawn, who's just full of joie de vivre and loves everything. And she's the one everyone wants to be, the boss. She's got no desire for power. Uh, so we're just going to see the scene of these two at work. Uh, so welcome to the stage. Uh, Sarah Mayhew and Sadie Hasler to play Elania and... Uh, and uh, Here follows the two-minute, four-second scene. 
of uh, Dawn and Elaine. This is Dawn arriving at work. You know when people arrive and they're really irritatingly happy the whole time? Uh, action. Good morrow, Mr. Pastry. Let thy yeast raise my spirits no more. Oh, my happiness shall not fit through the door. Look, aunt, tis cast a sugar for mine eating, and whoever cast her rubs salt into the wounds of Elania. Good morrow, sweet Elania. How goes it, Dawn? Oh, Elania, my soul soars to sunny delight this grey, wet, wedless day. The weather is moody, and so am I. Oh, by Odin, for what is grey but darkness plus light? Wherefore comes this light but in denial of despair? Oh, light cream-whipped mercy with cherry glacial and benevolent atop. I am joyous! Thy smile is an upturned scythe. I would detach it and harvest the corn of thy mood. May I pick notes so high and good that they invert and break their axes and axe from thy neck thy head, which rolls into the 99p shop wherein tis barcoded and sold at a fucking discount. <laughs> Nay, noble Elania, Speakest thou not so bleakly of our life at Greg's? I, thou art well red, and I neither is tall white. But in this red and white thy tabard is pink, and thus thou art happy. <laughs> oh, for what is that mixed colour but the recolour of dark pa with lightning ink? Tis, tis pa ink. Oh, that thou thinkest that I... Enough! Thy similes are poorer than a Scottish council. <laughs> Thine invert head sicker than the Yorkshire Ripper's scrapbook. Thou art sick to see how well fares my new fare. Oh, nay, she speaketh of her curry slices. Fuck. Nay, not I that speaks, but he who looks, and in looks peaks his happiness. Thou art deluded. If thou thinks Bariucho cares a fig for thy cardamom, while he grows fat and useless, the till goes slim with less use. Thou mean BBC Three budget, thou, speaking ill of our ill manager. Methinks he hath men's problems. Being thus a man is his problem. He hath been a gallant leader. Was it not noble Bariuccio whom opined in 1999 for the one hour, one minute lunch? What of it? Thy words are daily mail. They stamp out my prejudice, yet to deliver no substance. Twas he who gave thee thine extra fag break. So thou canst thirty and not just twenty a day toke thy piked lungs into horse whisperers. <laughs> Aye, his work like him is done, as they all are in the end. My Alan too, not before they bang your sister and empty your abbey account. <laughs> and the cocker spaniel. Joey, it was my dog. I pray you leave carping. I pray Bariuccio takes leave to fish for carp. Scrub away thy dreams and tend the staff loo. There at least a lasting mark hath been made, and tis for you to brush it hence with thy bristling good mood. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Russell Kane and the Fakespeare Players. 
thanks very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. I certainly did. Our next podcast has Rod Gilbert and Roy Walker on it. Uh, do remember to keep downloading these, guardian.co.uk slash podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm off for a Jalfrozy. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.